through verse 11. If you would stand with me for the reading of God's Word. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be the fear of the Lord. He shall judge not by what his eyes see, or decide disputes by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor, and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with a rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist, and faithfulness the belt of his loins. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, And the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the lion, and the fattened calf together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like an ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of a cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In that day the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples, of him shall nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. In that day the Lord will extend his hand yet a second time to recover the remnant that remains of his people from Assyria from Egypt, from Pathros, from Cush, from Elam, from Shinar, from Hamath, and from the coastlands of the sea. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray and ask for help. Heavenly Father, thank you for this Advent season. A season of tremendous longing fulfilled. And yet a continued longing in our hearts even as we gather as your people this morning. Lord, as we encounter you, by your Spirit, give us hope. Be light and life to us. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. What do you think about when you think about the Old Testament? What comes to mind? Very often what comes to mind is a, is a different God maybe than the one that is revealed in the New Testament. You hear that quite often. If you're just going to go with a word on the street view of the Old Testament, oh, that God, that God of the Old Testament, he's very different than the God of the New Testament. Have you ever heard anybody say that? Have you ever wondered why that is? I think the light of the prophets, this season and this time invite us to correct that view. It's not necessarily the case. It's not, it's not a different God at all. It's not, it's not at all the case that the light of the prophets tell the truth about the human heart, the human condition, the people and place of their time, and they into that inject an incredible 
life-giving hope, all of which is found in Christ. To understand the light of the prophets a bit more, we need to know what prophecy is. Briefly, and we just heard an incredible definition of it, it's just God telling the truth to His people. God telling His people the truth. Dictionary of Biblical Theology puts it this way. It's a bit more technical, but not much. The story of prophecy from Genesis to Revelation is the story of God speaking to people through human messengers. And thus, it is the story of God's varying relationships with His people and with others. It's simply God communicating Himself through His messengers to His people. God is relating to people. We have a relational God beginning to end. Prophecy is not fortune telling. We tend to look for clues or you maybe you've heard people view prophecy like that. Okay, let's, let's add all this up and do some calculus and then we kind of figure out this code and see where the prophecy is taking us. And it's always future. It's not necessarily the case. Prophets spoke to, to their time. They spoke the truth to where they were and from time to time they would get glimpses of where this is going. But even the prophet couldn't tell you exactly what that was going to look like. They're not fortune tellers. That's not what they meant to do. They meant to tell the truth about God, who He is and who we are and where we could find hope. Second thing about prophecy is this. It has a goal to shed light Specifically, its aim is always to change hearts, to change minds. We read this a few weeks ago, but it, this text still is resonating with me from 1 Peter 1, 16. And it's, it's his reflection on being on the mountain of transfiguration with Christ. I'm just going to read it again. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths, We can go around taking popular opinion polls about Jesus. We can follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses of His majesty. For when He received honor and glory from God the Father and the voice was born to Him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice, voice born from heaven. For we were with Him on the holy mountain. And then He says this, And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you would do well to pay attention, as to a lamp shining in a dark place, or a light shining on a pedestal before us to see. Until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, this message is supposed to bring about change in us. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. As we begin this Advent season, the question is, have we paid attention to the prophetic word? Made more fully manifest than even the Mount of Transfiguration We've seen more now. 
We've seen that this bright and shining Jesus at the top of that mountain went to a cross where he suffered, he died, and he rose again, conquering death, hell, and the grave, giving us great hope. Have we seen that? Has the lamp of the prophetic word shone into the darkness of us? Has the new day dawned and the morning star of Christ risen in our hearts? That's the light of the prophets. That's what they intend to do. Light shines in the darkness, revealing our need for a Savior. Who He is and what He came to accomplish. Today we're going to look at Isaiah chapter 11, but before we get there, we have to say, why do we even need Advent? Gives us a great opportunity to begin at the beginning. Genesis chapter 3. And then we'll land in Isaiah chapter 11. Advent means to come. Advent means Jesus is coming. A Redeemer is coming. Why? Why? Why would we need something so devastating, something so awesome, something so beautiful? The backstory. God has built his sanctuary, his garden, his place. And God puts his people there, made in his image, in the midst of his perfect creation. Beautiful. His people and his place. The way things are supposed to be. God with man. And we know that they were to expand this outward, revealing more and more of the glory of God, spreading it over the whole earth. We also know that into that garden, into that place, that sanctuary, came a tempter. The enemy came in, lying, deceiving, challenging God in His Word. And we pick up in Genesis 3.6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food... That it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. And the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me and I ate. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all the livestock and above all the beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat. All the days of your life I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. What's so devastating about eating fruit? 
Have you ever scratched your head about that? This seems a little bit severe. Come on, God. It's a little bit harsh. Plunging all of humanity and all the cosmos into the fall, into sin, into destruction. What's underneath that is what is so devastating about the fall. And it's this sentiment. I'm better than you. I know more than you. We have that with each other. We do. We struggle with it. We look at our neighbor and as opposed to loving them, we try to think of all the ways that we're better than someone else. Put ourselves on a pedestal. And the devastating thing in the fall is that's exactly what they were doing with their creator. Sure, we eat fruit. We continue to do that. And here, that eating of the fruit was a statement. And that statement was, I know better than you. I'm better. It's absolutely devastating and it's an undoing. It's a ripping apart of what we were made to be. God's people in His place according to His Word. It it rips all that apart. The consequences of the fall here are equally devastating. Broken relationship with God. Man and woman isolated and alone and afraid. Broken relationships with each other they immediately begin to play the blame game. Broken relationship with the garden, as we'll see, they'll be expelled from the very presence of God. Death was introduced to people who weren't created to die. Have you ever wondered why death is a sting or why it, is, it feels wrong or off? Even if you expect it, even if you know it's coming, there's something that seems wrong about it. Why? Because we weren't meant to die. That is not why we were created by God. It also began a cosmic warfare between two seeds that would continue from this time through Cain and Abel, through the flood, Ishmael and Isaac, Jacob and Esau, Israel and Egypt, conquest, captivity, massacre of male infants by Herod, all the way to the seed of the woman who would crush the head of the serpent. And we have that promise in the midst of the curses, in the midst of the fall, God promises hope. Do you see God pursuing? Who goes after who in the garden? God goes after His people. He pursues them. And even while he's leveling devastating curses, even in the midst of those curses, he makes promises of salvation. Evil will not stand forever. The seed of the woman would crush, devastatingly so, the head of the serpent. Do you know the devastation of the fall? Do you know the reality of your own heart? Have you been invited in to peel the layers back and stop saying I'm better than you and peel them back and see that the fall is in us? That we are the broken. 
do you see tremendous grace here? Right here in the garden. Right where the darkness breaks into God's good creation, do you see incredible grace even here? In the midst of disobedience. In the midst of us, creation, saying to our Creator, we're better than you. We know better than you. The Creator coming in, even into that, saying, it's okay, I'll win. It's going to hurt. It's going to cost a devastating blow to God Himself, but God will win. Man is still reeling. Without any movement towards God, God comes toward men. John Stott says, The Bible reveals a God who long before it even occurs to man to turn to Him, while man is still lost in darkness and sunk in sin, takes the initiative, rises from His throne, lays aside His glory and stoops to seek until He finds Him. God does that. It's His initiative. It's His light. The prophets are His. It's all His. We would not pursue. We would continue with Adam today saying, I'm better than you. I know better than you. God in His great grace pursues. Isn't this the way of Christianity and the Gospel? That light would shine in the darkness. It's always been God's way. The Gospel seems to resonate most deeply in our greatest sorrows and shortcomings, failures and insecurities. It's in those times that God says you're loved, you're treasured, and I'm going to do what it takes to save you. That's why Advent is needed. That's why we have the prophets. That's why we have their light. So who is Advent about? We pick up in our text Isaiah 11 and if you back up a little bit the scene is devastating look at chapter 10 beginning in verse 33 behold the Lord God of hosts will lop the boughs with terrifying power the great in height will be hewn down and the lofty will be brought low he will cut down the thickets of the forest with an axe and Lebanon will fall by the majestic one The scene is a scene of devastating power. God's coming in and wiping out a forest. It's incredible. And verse 1 opens up to that scene. There shall come forth from this scene of a bunch of stumps in a field. All the life's gone. No birds, there's nothing for them to eat. The animals that would have found sanctuary in this forest are gone. There's no life, there's just stumps. And into that stump there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from its roots shall bear fruit. Where there used to be a beautiful garden. perfect, awful, terrible in its beauty, now there's just terrible, brokenness, judgment, the Assyrians coming in to wipe out 
Israel to, to crush the judge. And then God saying, I'll, I'll judge them as well. Just judgment all over the place. There's a barren field and stumps. And out of that, a little branch is going to come up from one of the roots of the stump named Jesse. And that little branch is going to grow up and become a tree. And that tree is going to bear fruit. And it's going to offer light and life and hope again in this field that's so horribly devastated. Who is the stump? Jesse. Jesse, as we know, is the father of David, the greatest king Israel had known up to this point. He was long dead at this point at the time of this writing. But Isaiah is saying from this stump, from this long dead and long gone kingdom, from this glory days, from the heights that you remember, there's going to come another king. He's going to look tiny. It's going to look small. It's going to look insignificant. Have you ever seen a shoot come up from a stump, from a tree that's been cut down? It doesn't matter how big the tree was, it could have been vast and powerful and these little shoots look so small. Insignificant. But this one's going to grow. It's going to become powerful. It's going to bear incredible fruit. Matthew chapter 1 opens with a genealogy, and I'll just read pieces of it. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Picking up in verse 5. And Salmon, the father of Boaz by Rahab. And Boaz, the father of Obed by Ruth. And Obed, the father of Jesse. And Jesse, the father of David, the king. So you have 14 generations, and you get down to David the king. Then from David to Solomon, then all the way down to Josiah, the boy king. From there through the Babylonian captivity, picking up in verse 15, and Elihah, the father of Eleazar, and Eleazar, the father of Mathen. Mathen, the father of Jacob, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called the Christ. There it is. Matthew picked up on it. Here's the shoot. Where's the shoot coming up? What's he talking about? A shoot coming from a stump. Here he is. Jesus, the Christ, the Savior. The second Adam, the seed of the woman who would come to crush the head of the serpent. Notice verses 2 through 5 in Isaiah 11 present more about who this king will be. Let's just list them. The king is going to be marked by the Holy Spirit. Tremendous power. The Spirit of the Lord will rest upon him. The very embodiment of the presence of God. Three times blessed by the Spirit in wisdom, understanding, and counsel. Might, knowledge, and the fear of the Lord. This little shoot is going to be astounding. A one-to-one connection with the Holy Spirit like the world has never seen. It's Jesus. And unlike other kings, his delight will be in the fear of the Lord. Other kings resist it. You see it time and time again in Israel's history. 
And I guess it's appropriate to ask, do we, do we desire to see that today? Is our hope in some earthly king? Here's our heavenly king. And he's being presented as the one who, his delight is in the fear of the Lord. And unlike other leaders, this king will not judge based on appearance or on words told to him. He will judge with righteousness. You see, they always had a problem with injustice. People judging based on looks. Oh, you appear to be wealthy. Hmm, okay. You get a pass. Or I hear the, 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 the kind, gentle words that you're sharing with me. You get a pass. And this king is not going to judge that way. Unlike other kings, this king will be the agent of justice for the poor. He will deal equally with the meek. His eye will not be deceived by appearances. He will know the truth. Unlike other kings, his word will strike the whole earth. And his whisper will kill the wicked. Unlike other kings, his garments will be righteousness and faithfulness. Paul draws on this reality, the belt of truth. This king will be unlike any king you've ever known. What is this Advent going to accomplish? So why Advent? Who Advent? And now what will it accomplish? Beginning in verse 6, the wolf shall dwell with the lamb. The leopard shall lie down with the young goat, the calf and the lion, the fattened calf together. The little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze. Their young shall lie down together and the lion shall eat straw like an ox. It's odd. The, the nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra. The weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. So the story of Advent is really a story of two Advents. And the prophets don't really see a hard break in between. They just see a Savior coming and then incredible peace and flourishing like the world has never known. And that's the image given to us here. Strange images. A wolf dwelling with peacefully a lamb. A leopard lying down with a young goat, calves and lions being led together by children. How many of you would let your children lead around a lion? Cows and bears grazing together, lions eating straw, nursing children, putting their hands in the hole of a cobra. A child putting his hand on a whole den of adders. What is this? It's, again, it's peace like we have never known. We live between two Advents. As we celebrate this Advent season, we celebrate both. We look back on the first coming of Jesus and the hope and the light and the life that He brought. Redemption accomplished. We also celebrate the second advent in which Jesus will return and bring incredible peace. 
Once where there was division, now there's only unity. Once there was a threat of violence, and now there's incredible peace. Once there was a threat to the most vulnerable, do you notice the references again and again to children? They're so vulnerable. They're subject to death at every turn. The mortality rate for children, it's not that great. All that's going away in the second advent. Once there was bloodshed and a devouring of one another, a ripping apart. These are kings and kingdoms, the lion, the bear. There's going to be incredible peace. Now everyone and everything in the whole world is right and good. That's what Christ will do when He strikes the earth with the rod of His mouth. The imagery here is picked up in John's Revelation chapter 21 which states, Then I saw a new heavens and a new earth. And by the way, all this is very earthy. You never get a sense that in the second advent there's going to be harps and wings and you're going to have your own cloud that you float on like the cartoons. You don't get that sense. It's not the sense given to us in Scripture. It's not the sense given to us in the prophets or in John's Revelation. This is what he sees. A new heaven and a new earth. And the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. The sea is what they feared most. It's not like you're not going to be able to have a vacation at the beach. They feared the sea. John said it's it's gone. The thing that you fear most is no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for a husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be His people. And God Himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Has this prophetic hope dawned in your heart? Do you know that this is the hope of Christ? Do you know that this is what His first advent accomplished? And that we still long for that day, for incredible peace, To those who struggle through the holiday season. You know, for some people, this season's tough. It's a hard time. Maybe it's a break, time to reflect. Oftentimes, our minds and hearts are drawn to, to sadness. Maybe people that we've known have, have passed this season. No doubt there are many of you who struggle. Do you know that one day there will be no more tears? He's going to dry every one of them up. They're going to be gone. There's going to be no more weeping. Do you know that Jesus, the shoot from the stump of Jesse, will do this? He is going to accomplish it. Do you know that in Christ, death will exist no more? No more death. 
Do you know that in Christ there will be no more mourning, crying, pain, sorrow, loss? Do you know that the struggle that you deal with, that you wrestle with, that you wrestle with this very day will all pass away? Do you know that? All the sinful, fallen things in this world will one day have all passed away. That's the hope of Advent. That's the hope of Christ come, a Savior, a Redeemer, come to wipe it all away, to take it on Himself, the full weight of the curse, bearing it in His own body on the tree and then burying it and then rising, conquering death. And this is what He will bring with Him. Peace like the world has never known. How would it transform our lives here now to to live in light of this glorious truth? How would that shape you and mold you as an individual? Us as a church to live in light of the second advent, knowing that all this is done and accomplished in Christ. We see the light of the prophets shining brightly, illuminating Christ. I hope so. Does that give us hope? I pray that it does. Know for certain today that we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed right here before us, to which you would do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank You for this, Your Word. Thank You for the light of the prophets that reveal a devastating fall, a beautiful redemption and a redeemer, a shoot, a branch from the stump of Jesse that will grow and bear fruit, the fruit of peace like we have never known. Lord, give our hearts tremendous longing for that. Let us wait with joy and patience, astounded by You and by Your power. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.